The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, Deb Hutton is here, former advisor to two Ontario premiers. Teacher Michelle Morrow and People's Voice Award winner is here. Uh, Bob Richardson is senior counsel at National Public Relations. And you know what? Before we get to the candidate, let's get to a p- item of policy. I want to know what you folks think about Rob Davis's pitch that the TDC should be free for all first responders. And, you know, Deb, it's a sweet idea, but as I've been learning from people through the morning, Everyone's saying, well, why stop at first responders? Why shouldn't nurses travel for free? I liked somebody even said anybody who works for the railway. I thought, well, why not somebody who looks in radio? We did some heavy lifting during COVID. Yeah, I think this is a bit of a stunt, and it's a good one. Don't get me wrong. It's a great one. We're talking about it. But Rob is obviously looking for any way to get into uh, the actual contender pool when it comes to being mayor. And he's tried a couple of these. The first was uh, uh, not changing the name of Dundas, which, by the way, I do support. Uh, and then this is his second one. So good for him. But let's be clear, it's it's not a good idea. It is a stunt. All right. Michelle Morrow, your thoughts? I think it does sound really good. It's it's one of those nice initiatives. But you're right. Like, where will it stop? Uh, pretty much everyone, ex- like anyone can say, oh, well, I worked really hard during COVID. Maybe not everyone, but like a good chunk of people can say that and that they are deserving of a free ride. And the TTC is struggling right now. It's not, I don't even think I can say it's staying afloat. So the fact, the ability to offer even more and more free rides, I don't know if that's the way we want to go. But I do love my first responders and I feel so I have to say that, which sounds awful. Yeah, no, I love my first responders too, but it doesn't mean, you know, like they get a free Netflix, Bob. Yeah, this is a micro niche idea would be the way I'd describe it. Uh, it's not that serious. Uh, uh, we've got limited time and limited airtime in this campaign for mayor and a lot of candidates. Let's focus on the big issues. Okay. Well, now I am going to turn to the flashier side of things, and that is the probability that uh, that Olivia Chow gets into the race today. Gives me a chance to play one of my favorite uh, John Mayer songs again. Uh, it's always about Olivia. But Rob Richardson, I'll come back to you. This is the left candidate that I think some people were waiting for because they weren't sold on Josh Matlow. But I'm not absolutely convinced of the sort of, um, you know, perfect retail value of Olivia Chow. I think a lot of people are in awe of her, and I'm, I think she's going to have a real race ahead. Well, get out your uh, disco outfit, outfits from the 1980s or 1990s because they're back. You know, the, uh, Olivia Chow is an old tax and spend new Democrat. Um, she, she's she got a record for 40 years. If you want to fight about the same issues that, that we've fought about for years in this city, she's your candidate. Um, I think we should be moving to a younger generation, uh, a more forward-looking uh, generation, and a more current crop of candidates. And there's a number of progressive candidates, and there are a number of right-wing candidates who fit that bill. She doesn't. Okay. Michelle Morrow, it is interesting what Bob is mentioning because she has name recognition, but most of her political career predates me arriving in Toronto for Pete's sake, and I have to be fairly typical. Absolutely. I think it's a name that people will recognize, but I don't think it'll connect with um, the younger generation, like even people my age and younger. Like we know of Olivia Chow, but not necessarily what she accomplished while she was an active politician. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I feel like we want someone in, in the office who has experience, but at the same time, I kind of feel like I want someone who's going to do something different. And if we if Olivia Chow went in, I feel like 
just like Bob said, we'd be going back to the 80s and 90s, and I don't think we want to do that. Okay, we would be going back to the 80s and 90s if it happened, but Deb Hutton, I agree with what Michelle said. I think some people are looking for chaos, which means that Giorgio Mammoliti could win. Uh, well, I'll take a bet to anyone who wants to do a bet that Giorgio Mammoliti will not be our me- our next mayor. Listen, we're all being <laughs> oh, please, too kind not to Giorgio. Olivia. <laughs> I, we're all being too kind to Olivia. She was a lovely representative. She, uh, you know, it feels wonderful to think again about Jack Layton if you are of that political ilk. But let's face it, she has never shown any leadership abilities. And I can't imagine having been out of politics and out of the public domain for a while that she's going to be any more leaderly than she ever has been. Today will be her highest poll numbers. At what age would you create the uh, the threshold, I guess, of somebody who's going to be looking after mostly kids, let's face it, but looking after people in a life and death situation? Deb Hutton, this is uh, the argument that we should lower the minimum age for lifeguards to 15. It's currently 16, even though you can get all your paperwork and your bronze uh, medallion at 15. Um, but I guess, as Scott Reed was saying, it depends on the maturity of the 15-year-old. Yeah, and we're not we're not lowering the age, <clears throat> excuse me, from say 18 to 15. This is this is one year. And there are many 16-year-olds, there are many 18-year-olds that you should never leave your children with, and there are a ton of 13, 14 and 15-year-olds who are incredibly responsible. My only issue with this, John, and I don't disagree with it, is that it is is coming because of necessity, not because of good policy. We have had a shortage far before the pandemic of lifeguards and instructors. I had my kids' swimming lessons canceled back in 20, like late 2019, 2020. So this isn't like many other sectors pandemic related. For whatever reason, we don't have enough kids getting their qualifications. So that's the only thing that bothers me, that if you're doing this out of necessity, it may not not, in fact, be the right policy. But in terms of kids, judge the kids on their merit. Some of them may be fantastic and some may be a disaster. Yeah, Bob Richardson, I'm inclined to think that the type of teenager who gets their certification is somebody with the disposition to be a good lifeguard. Yeah, I'm with you on this, whether it's 15 or 16, I think is basically irrelevant. I think the society approves lifeguards at 15 and it's the city that says, you have to be 16 strikes me that uh we can uh, we can apply one standard across the board and uh i think given the circumstances at the moment deb's right we need lifeguards 15s just fine michelle morrow would you be comfortable not leaving them alone but with 15 year old lifeguards being in charge of your kids on a beach Actually, yeah, because I know how stressful the um, or how intense the bronze medallion is for people to complete. And I have a couple students who've recently done it. And I'm really proud of them for doing that. Um, and it's not as if they get this medallion and they automatically get, OK, you've got your medallion. So you're on deck for February 10th or whatever. Um, it's not like they automatically get the job. So we still have that screening process to see that they are mature enough and dedicated enough to actually handle the job. I don't mind 15 versus 16. I don't feel like it's that big of a difference. Uh, Twitter has added uh, the words government-funded media tag to the CBC account on Twitter. And Bob Richardson, I know it's all very arch and satisfying for conservatives who never liked the CBC in the first place, but it's also a means of trying to tar the CBC. And, And I mean, I'll let you take this in any direction, but I think people forget that pretty well all newspapers accept government money, so I don't know that Twitter's gonna go after the sun. Yeah, I, this is juvenile 
about theatrics. Um, I, I think this is kind of a waste of uh, time discussion. Um, I think everybody knows the CBC is publicly funded, uh, and it's publicly funded, not government funded. I think that's an important point. And, you know, I, I never see this sort of level of energy and enthusiasm from Conservative leaders about telling us who funds the Canadian Taxpayer Federation or the National Citizens Coalition. So it's okay for them to be private and not say who funds them, but uh, but uh, somehow or other, anything, uh, anything public or anything on, quote, the left uh, needs to be uh, absolutely 100% transparent. Michelle Morrow, your thoughts? Um, I think Twitter is a dumpster fire and I avoid it at all costs. And I don't think anyone should take what they say about any news outlet, seriously, be, be it um, something that's completely right wing or something that's completely left wing. I feel like you go on Twitter to make yourself to feel bad about yourself and feel bad about the world. And I don't care what they say about the CBC. I still enjoy watching it. Deb Hutton, there is such a disappointment when it comes to Elon Musk because he really does behave like a frat boy who just has a big megaphone. Yeah, and I'm with Michelle on on the fact that this is about Twitter and who cares, quite frankly. What I actually care about is that, and, and I disagree with my friend Bob, it is taxpayer money. You can say it's not government, but it's government who makes the decisions. We are spending a billion plus dollars on the CBC. And I think it is time in 2023, given where we are in the media world, in the internet world, to say... Do we still need to spend a billion dollars plus on the CBC? Because I believe the original relevance of having a publicly funded broadcaster has no longer is no longer relevant. It is time for the CBC and people who support it to make the case that it still should be publicly funded. And I will line up on the opposite side of that. Jamie Watt writes for the star that he thinks the Democrats in the United States should fight fire with fire, as he likes to say, and put Jon Stewart up as their candidate against uh, Donald Trump. Michelle Morrow, I'll start with you. There's actually a certain elegance to the whole idea. Take two guys who have made their money in television as celebrities, pit them against each other. And as we have discovered in Ukraine, uh, sometimes a guy who goofs around on TV turns out to be a pretty good leader. I think we found that out in the United States as well, not just in Ukraine. <laughs> oh, wait, he turned out to be a good leader. I take that back. I take that back. <laughs> but I do believe you're talking Ronald Reagan, Michelle. Ah, Ronald Reagan. Yes. That's Thank who you were Deb. talking about. Yes, this is this is why I love being on with Deb. She keeps me in check. <laughs> <laughs> um, my point was, before I got all off track, um, the point was that I do think that Jon Stewart comes to every debate or interview completely um, informed. He is ready with every argument. He is really quick on his feet. He's very smart and he's very funny and people are really attracted to that. But I really wish we would get out of the mindset that you can jump into the highest level of government with no experience. Why are we so attracted to people who have never done this job before and yet we throw them into something that has enormous amounts of power and enormous amounts of responsibility? I like having new people in. But at the same time, I want someone to know how the government works before they start running it. Okay, but Deb Hutton, Amen. maybe we close the loop on our discussion today by returning to Olivia Chow and company. Why do we assume that there is a governing class of people who should go from office to office to office? A hundred percent, John. And, and two words on this particular debate, Joe Biden. Tons of experience, lousy president. And the most important thing of this column isn't that it's Jon Stewart against, you know, Donald Trump or whatever the dynamic might be. It's that clearly the Democrats themselves are unhappy with the current president. Okay, I don't hew entirely to that view because the economy's on a tear and he restored NATO. But Bob Richardson, last word. 
couldn't disagree with uh, Deb Moore. Hey, Deb, we're disagreeing. Couldn't disagree with oh you more gosh. on uh, the on world is right again. I think, Biden, <laughs> I think Biden's been a good president. Uh, I think he did well uh, with Congress recently. He's got more bills through. He's doing this sort of stuff that you expect a president to do. I kind of like my politicians to have some experience, to know what they're doing when they get into office and haven't just fallen out of a TV station. Thank you all. Good to have you. Lively discussion today. Bob Richardson, Michelle Morrow, and Deb Hutton. The lively debate continues on the other side of the 9 o'clock news. Jerry Agar is going to be here. Keep it here on News Talk 1010. Vashi Capellas after that. Reshmi Nair, Jim Richards. I tell you, it is indeed the finest talk radio lineup in all of Canada. Uh, Nick Marano, thanks to you for uh, pushing all the buttons this morning. You are You mean much more to me than a cat. Yeah, right. Even if we can find a cat that presses buttons. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.